There are some people, you know, that uh, think that we shouldn't talk about this subject, you know, uh, in, in church. Uh, but you do realize that the three uh, most common arguments in any marriage in this order is finances, sex, and parenting. And as a church, we talk a lot about finances and parenting, but we don't talk about this subject. So, but before we jump into the subject, I, I do want uh, to make sure that you have some resources. We're going to do something completely different. If you notice, our order of service is a little bit different today. We're going to end with what we do on Thursday nights, which is text-in questions. So during the course of our conversation, if you have questions, uh, we're not going to be able to get to all of them as we've seen the number of them come in, but if things come to your mind, please submit them. And at the end, I'm going to bring Steve up. Instead of closing with a song, we're actually going to close with some texting questions and kind of do that live you know, on stage. Uh, also, uh, as you know, this series we're wrapping up today called Dating, Love, and Sex, uh, we want to kind of you know, encapsulate everything that we've talked about by finishing with a conference. So this coming Saturday... This Saturday is our one-day marriage conference that we're hosting here at this church. And so it's called Maturing in Your Marriage. Uh, we have over 80 couples that have already signed up. And so uh, we want to make sure that you sign up today. Uh, tomorrow's the deadline so that we have that for child care. Now, you can show up on the day of the event. It's going to be $10 more, you know, just because of cost and materials and all that kind of stuff. So just want to make sure that you sign up. You don't leave uh, without today. You can do that online. You can do that in the lobby, and they can help you with that as well. Now, if you're a parent, you know, oh, I want to, one other thing. If money is the reason you're not going, we had two families that came to me and they're offering scholarships, you know, to those of you who can't afford to be able to attend. So now you have no excuse to be able to say, okay, somebody else is going to come alongside with partial or more scholarship, you know, uh, resources. All you got to do is ask. And so they're available for that for you as well. Now, if you're a parent of a teen, a preteen, this subject, you know, is critical. You do know that our kids are being bombarded, you know, with sex and sexual advertising now more than ever in the history of our country. And so for us as parents to bring a different message than what they may be hearing at home or, you know, online or through, you know, uh, movies and that kind of stuff is critically important. So I want to make sure I resource you a little bit today before we jump into the subject. The first would be something called Passport to Purity. Passport to Purity. This is designed... Uh, for you as a parent to pick a weekend, an overnight at the very least, and for you to take your son or daughter, you know, to a, a, a time where you can have these conversations, being guided with this workbook, being guided by some CDs and some different ways to connect with your son or daughter. It's incredibly powerful. It talks not only just about the birds and the bees, but it also talks about sex and sexuality and talks about peers and peer pressure and leadership and some of those things that they're going to be facing as they get older. So it is definitely worth the experience. Uh, it's changed a little bit over the years. So when I was a kid, my dad, you know, uh, took me to Wenatchee. You know, we went on a two-day kind of camping trip to talk about the birds and the bees. Uh, uh, but uh, he had the help from a guy by the name of James Dobson. You know, and we had James Dobson cassettes. Those of you who don't know what a cassette is, you can look that up online. And so we listened to hours and hours of cassettes. We got through it. And I think he was more uncomfortable than I was. Uh, and at the end, and some of you have heard this before, uh, we decided to take a hike, you know, kind of a man hike at the end. And we got to this secluded lake. And he, and he says, all right, now we're going to get naked and jump in the lake. So I'm like, well, what if the girls see us, Dad? You know, and uh, he's like, they're nowhere around. And so he gets naked, jumps in the lake. I guess I'm like, I get naked, jump in the lake. Fast forward, I take my boys, you know, on Passport to Purity, and we go through two days. And then I say, all right, boys, we're going to go on a hike. Let's go jump naked in the lake. And they just looked at me like, why would we ever do that? And I was like, well, my dad did that with me. He's like, we are not doing that. So tr tradition died with me. I don't know. It's only a one-generation thing. Um, 
Those of you with young ladies, uh, as, as church, you know, we provide an event called Shine, called Shine for you to engage with your daughters in this topic of purity. We do it here at the church. You know, it's led by some great volunteers in our church. And if you want more information, you can see that behind me as well. Lastly, there is a new uh, resource out there called project619.org. Uh, uh, this is an ongoing conversation with your kids that are into their teenage years about sex and sexuality, and there's conferences and there's seminars, there's podcasts, there's all these things that are available through this website to keep the conversation going besides your one weekend experience. Okay, now with all that said, I want, I want to make sure I say this to start out. I am fully aware that this topic of sex is very painful for some of you. Uh, that when you were young, you were sexually molested or abused. And it has carried on in that painful experience even into your dating and marriage life. For some of you, you got pressured into, whether it be through a date rape situation or something far worse, you know, in a sexual encounter, and it's created some painful experiences. For some of you, uh, there has been sexual dysfunction. You know, whether it be by age or there's been medical procedures or different things that have happened, you know, in your life. For a few of you, you know, um, uh, in different seasons and style, you know, times in which God has created you, um, having sex with your spouse is actually very painful. It's actually very, very difficult. And here's what I want to say to all of you, if you find yourself in that category. First and foremost, I am so sorry. I am sorry that you are experiencing or have experienced that kind of pain in your life. The second thing I would say is tell someone about it. Bring it out into the open. You do realize that whenever we face many of our trials or sufferings in this world, we have a tendency to post about it or talk about it with others in the hopes that we would have somebody else come alongside us. But when it comes to this issue, for some reason in the church especially, we like to keep it in the dark. But when the dark is when it still has its power. And so I would just encourage you, this place is called Valley Real Life for a reason, that you would let somebody know that they would be able to walk alongside with you even as you go through this pain and the suffering. We have pastors, and we even even have a licensed professional counselor that would be able to help on this journey. Sounds good? Deal? Okay. Now, with that being said, let me start with this. There seems to be three approaches to sex. God, gross, or gift. Those seem to be the three approaches. In other words, our culture worships sex as God. It's in movies, TV shows, social media, billboards, sex sells, and so it's why when you're watching a hamburger commercial, all of a sudden in Carl's Jr., I don't know if I'm looking at hamburgers or something else. Uh, many of you have watched or are watching you know, as the Olympics wrap up. You do realize that this year, uh, uh, more than any other Olympics, they hand to the athletes as, athletes as part of their welcome packet into the athletic village, more contraceptives have been given this year than any other Olympics. For the purpose of being that these has become a chance for not only the athletes to engage in their sport, but also to engage sexually with one another in the athletic village. And it continues to grow. As, as you see, uh, maybe some of you guys don't know this, pornography last year alone in America was an $8 billion industry. $8 billion. Sexual experience and the feeling associated with it is what you're told by our culture is part of the purpose or meaning of life. It's held in that high, and it's got to be in so many different areas in so many different ways. That's one approach to sex. Secondly, another approach to sex is if you come from a very conservative environment or household or even church, you are taught that sex is gross. In other words, it's a dirty word, so let's never talk about it or address it. You were told, don't think about it, don't talk about it, 
And definitely, definitely don't ever do it. Uh, maybe you grew up in a household where you didn't even learn this, the, what even sex was uh, in the household. You had to learn it from friends, what you saw on TV, or from that awkward gym teacher. You know, maybe that was one of the ways that you found out. In fact, here's what we know. If that was the view in which you were taught or told when you did get married and when you were able to say, yeah, we're supposed to experience this in the confines of marriage, you actually had a hard time because you were so ingrained that it was dirty and that it was wrong. And so engage actually created some friction and tension into your newly, new, new marriage, which actually then leads us to the third approach, is that sex is, health, is a healthy understanding, is it's God's gift. So hear me clearly. Sex is God's idea. It's God's invention. And it is God-ordained in the context of marriage. It really is. He came up with it. It's good. And it's powerful. But he also warns us of this power. In fact, if you want to read about this, you can read in Proverbs chapter 5. The first half of it gives us the warnings of how powerful and how used inappropriately can destroy and wreak havoc on your life and in relationships. The second half of Proverbs 5 actually talks about the positive nature of it and how it's meant to be enjoyed in this context of marriage. And so since it's God's idea and his invention and it's God-ordained, then why did God create it? You ever, ever ask that? Why did God, why did you create sex? Well, according to his word, he did it for three main reasons. Number one, for reproduction. Okay, that's why he created it. In Genesis chapter one, verse 28, there's Adam and Eve and he's just created both of them and then he looks at them and he says these words. He blesses them and he says, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. And you know that we have 8 billion people on this earth today because people are engaging in sexual activity for reproduction. And we see that today, obviously. Now, uh, by the way, in the creation story, for those of you who like to study the Bible and theologians, did you know that we were sexual before we were sinful? Realize that. We were sexual before sin ever entered the world. Uh, now, secondly, uh, uh, God created sex for our oneness, for our unity in marriage. In fact, he says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now, the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Uh, we know that sex is not just a physical act. We talked about this a few weeks ago. It's not the same as eating a cheeseburger. If it was just a physical act or experience, it wouldn't have the devastation and the hurt and the pain and the loss when, the, when a couple actually breaks up. It's funny that God wired sex to actually not just be physical, but there's an emotional and spiritual bond and attachment that takes place through this physical activity, even if the physical activity is just a one-night stand. We know this based on the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says this, Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. Why not? Don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say the two are united into one. But the person who's joined to the Lord is one with him in spirit. See, God created sex for reproduction. He also created sex for this bonding to take place after you say the I do's that will enhance your connection with your spouse. But third, and this is the one that we don't often talk about in church, is that God created sex for our pleasure in the context of marriage. He designed sex, and it's powerful, and it's good. 
If you were told that God is a prude, then let me tell you two things. You don't know God, and you've never read his word. His word. If you are a Bible study or theologian, you like to focus on different aspects of Scripture, but do you realize there is an entire book in the Bible that is dedicated to this subject, the oneness, the intimacy in marriage, and the sexual activity that is supposed to take place for pleasure beyond reproduction. It's a book in the Old Testament, some of you guys are trying to flip there right now, uh, called Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. So let me give you a little taste on how it opens up between a husband and a wife. Song of Psalms, uh, chapter one, verse one, says this is Song, Solomon's Song of Songs, more wonderful than any other. Kiss me and kiss me again, for your love is sweeter than wine. How pleasing is your fragrance. Your name is like the spreading fragrance of scented oils. No wonder all the young women love you. So take me with you. Come, let's run. The king has brought me into his bedroom. Bet you never heard that, husbands, you know, from your, from your spouse. But that's what he's saying. And then what happens in the bedroom, it says, you're going to have to read that on your own. That's what you're going to need to do. In fact, here's my first assignment for you. If you are married, here it is. Starting today, I want you together to read one chapter of Song of Solomon together out loud. Then I want you to pray together. You can start with prayer. That's fine. Whatever happens after that is between you and God, okay? But at next eight days, okay, one chapter in the Bible together as a married couple. Agreed? Okay, so there you go. There's your first assignment. Now, before we keep diving into some of this, if you're single, uh, the question always comes up, well, why should I wait until marriage? Right? Because it seems so archaic in our society, so old-fashioned. Like, haven't we progressed beyond that? Now, people you have heard have said, well, I need to make sure I'm sexually compatible before marriage. Uh, let me just be very blunt and clear. You are sexually compatible with millions and millions of people. You don't need to discover that before you get married. Also, this is what I tell my boys, uh, and not just applying to this subject, but others, you do realize that delayed gratification is most often the best gratification. Uh, you see, even as a culture, we seem to be okay and understand that there are different ages and stages that are best for us as a culture before we experience different experiences. Why do we have 16 as the age to get a license? Why do we have 18 to vote? Why do we have 21 for people to drink? Why is that even on the books? We must be hindering people's fun. We must be holding them back from truly experiencing life the way it was intended. But common sense says, no, based on maturity and life experience, you hold off on some of these things based on age and stage of where people are at. Wouldn't God understand that even more so to say, in the context of marriage, I've designed it not to hinder your fun, but to enhance your experience. I designed it, I created it, it's good in this setting. Now, something you won't hear very, 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 very advertised ever outside these walls. Do you realize that all the studies that sociologists even do today show that in a healthy and great marriages, you will find the most gratifying and satisfying sexual experiences? That's not what's being told. That's not what's being preached at. You know, it's, 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 got, it's different than, than what they would say, but all the studies still show that. 
Uh, we also, it also comes you know, with a warning. This is another reason why, wait, the more sexually promiscuous you are before marriage, when marriage starts and it goes beyond the honeymoon stage, when you start going into, into some seasons of difficulty or pain or even boredom in marriage, there is that temptation gets heightened twice as much, three times as much to engage in other sexual activity outside the marriage because of the amount of sexual activity you had before marriage. So it doesn't enhance, it doesn't help, it actually hurts. Lastly, and for some of you, this is going to actually sound crazy at first. But could it be that God may want some of you to consider, consider remaining sig- single for his purpose and his plan? In fact, written by a single guy in 1 Corinthians 7.23, it says, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. And then it talks about the wife and vice versa. Do you realize that some of the most impactful people who've ever made a difference for Christ's kingdom on this side of eternity actually happen to be single? Because their interests weren't divided. It was Christ and it was his kingdom. Instead of a Christ, Christ in my family, and then Christ in my kingdom. And so that's what he's talking about there. I mean, you think about great people of the faith like the Apostle Paul who wrote most of our New Testament. Mother Teresa. I have a missionary friend named Kathy in Africa, Jesus obviously himself. Now, I say all that to also say being sexual in the context of marriage doesn't mean that you're missing out if you're single. In other words, you're not an incomplete person because you've not found that soulmate. And we talked about that a few weeks ago. So when it comes to the way God designed sex, there are two things that we want to just look a little bit more in depth at. The two things are sex is meant to be enjoyed and sex is meant to be protected. And so let's look at the first one. Sex in marriage is meant to be enjoyed. So this is where it gets kind of fun. In the marriage union, we are actually encouraged to come together by God sexually to meet each other's sexual needs. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 tells us, this isn't Dan's word, this is from God's word. Some of you guys are like, I never knew this was in there. It says, but because there is so much sexual immorality, do you see any sexual immorality today? Paul had some issues back then. We've got some issues in our culture today. Each man should have his own wife, and each woman should have her own husband. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. It goes on more specifically. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband. Okay, let's hold on right there. Guys, it doesn't mean you get your wife's body anytime, anyplace, anyway. That's what guys, some people actually use that scripture against their spouses in the home to get what they want. Notice what the scripture says. The wife gives authority. So she does willingly give authority that when we are married, when we're connected, I am giving, even when I'm not liking, I'm giving my body over to you. And then the vice versa. And the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourself more completely to prayer. Afterwards, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So it's funny. Paul says you need to do this in marriage. If you're going to take a break, agree together you're going to take a break for the purpose of prayer. And then once that's done, come back again sexually in marriage. You didn't know that was in there, did you? It's clear as day. Now, as we look at this, you know, um, um, oh, uh, I heard, I heard a, a wife come to her husband one day, and uh, she said, honey, how can I help you spiritually? <laughs> he looked at her and said, well, once in a while, greet me naked at the door. 
I was like, well, okay. It keeps you pure. It's the connection, which actually leads to our second point. You do realize if you've been married for more than five minutes, even if you're not married, that God seems to have wired both men and women different sexually, right? In terms of sexual desires and how we're kind of wired and created. Now, I do realize I'm about to go into some generalizations based on time constraints. So I don't need an email to say, well, I'm the exception. I get that. But as we're just attaining to some of these generalizations, one of the things comes, 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 comes to mind is when do husbands prefer to have sex? Yes. <laughs> that would be the answer. Okay, so when do women prefer to have sex? In June. <laughs> Uh, actually, the studies show, you know, that guys can wake up almost every day and be ready to go in the morning, and women are more ready more often in the evening. And again, like I said, I am generalizing. Uh, but maybe you've had this happen into your marriage, okay? A guy wakes up, and all of a sudden, he's ready to go. First thing in the morning. Didn't, he wasn't planning it, thinking of it. So he looks over to his wonderful bride. Now, she is sound asleep. Her breath can kill from five yards out. She has her eye mask on, she's drooling a little bit, and she's wearing that team-building t-shirt from work from four years ago because it's still comfy. And he doesn't care. He looks over and says, I'm ready. Let's, let's have this interaction. And so what he does is he just kind of puts his toe, right, along her leg, to which she goes, hmm. So he's like, okay, that didn't work. So he says, oh, I know what she, what she wants. I'll just cuddle with her. So he puts his arm kind of around her just to kind of pull her in close. And what does she do? Mm. Right? So then he doesn't even know what to do. And in his depraved state, he just grabs her sexually. And she whips around and she looks at him. What do you think you are doing? To which he looks, her, looks at her and smiles and said, hey, you want to fool around? To which she says, does it look like I want to fool around right now? No, this never happened in your marriage. You know, I can, I can tell, you know, uh, <laughs> even then. Someone once said that God seemed to wire us when it comes to sex, that husbands just need a place, but the wife needs a reason. Okay, another way to say this is men, we are like microwaves. Women are like crockpots when it comes to sex and sexuality, right? One's instant, one takes a little bit more time warming up, okay? Most often, we get frustrated in our marriage sexual relationship because the other person isn't doing what they should do. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to say the same thing three different ways to try to get through. And what I want you to do is even if I had somebody say, don't hold your hand with your spouse during this time, you know, uh, because it can get a little dicey. So uh, I said, what I want to ask you to do is think not what that person is not doing for me in our relationship. Think what should I or could I be doing better for them in this relationship, okay? So that's the only way this is going to work. If you, if you start pointing out, then it just escalates and it gets worse from here and our counseling load is already high enough. Okay, <laughs> ladies. You do realize that your husband is wired by God to be turned on visually and more frequently than you are. Again, all generalizations. I mean, ladies, how many more times a day do you think your husband has an unwanted, didn't planned sexual thought more often than you? One time? Five times? Ten times? Thirty-three times? Somebody said 500 times. You know, a great Christian resource is uh, Dr. Lehman who wrote the book Sheet Music, great Christian resource. He writes in there, the studies have shown 33 more times than you ladies. 
Now, before you say that that's so juvenile or gross, realize that that's how God created most men. Let's go back to the wiring. Remember the Garden of Eden before sin ever came out, right? There's Adam, goes to sleep, wakes up, and all of a sudden, there is a naked woman named Eve that's standing right before him. Do you remember Adam's response? Wow, God, this is what I'm talking about. You outdid yourself on this one, big guy. I mean, or something along those lines. You know, you can read that's Dan's paraphrase version. But that's what he is saying. Realize she hasn't said a word. She hasn't done anything in their relationship. And that's his response already. Could it be that God has wired men a little bit more visually than it comes to women? Now, guys, women don't like to see you naked. Let's just be real about that. It's not the same thing when it comes to visually. You do realize, men, that your wife is much more turned on verbally and emotionally than visibly. When they feel connected and close with you is when they more often want to engage sexually with you. So guys, if you are complaining that you're not having enough sex, then I want to ask you, how much are you understanding and trying to meet her needs verbally and emotionally to be even be with you? We tend to skip some of that. So let me say it a second way. Guys, for ladies, sex begins at the breakfast table. Okay, it begins early. Again, the crock pot thing. I've realized that with my spouse, the more affirmation and words and ways in which I'm showing love, then what that does inside of her. When I still tell her after 20 years of marriage, Carolina, I love you. I love you so much. I love how God's created you. You are still so beautiful to me. I love how, you know, you do what, what you do in our family. I love all the things that you bring to her. I just am so grateful that God brought you to me. And I still say this. Do you know what that does to her on the inside? You know, and, and I'm not saying be so that I can have sex. It just leads if you go through that through the course of a day. Uh, I also discovered that acts of service did that for her, which is just weird to me. You know, uh, but one day she says, hey, when you vacuum every once in a while, that turns me on. <laughs> so let's just say our carpets get clean. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> You're like, wow, you know, okay. If that's not, that's not me, but if that's you, great. You know, and she's like, why are you vacuuming? Well, you know, <laughs> every service I've had guys leave like, hey, Dan, heading home to vacuum, you know, <laughs> we'll see you later. I said, okay. Have fun with that. Somebody said, hey, when is Sears closed? I need a vacuum cleaner. You know, it's come up over and over and over. Uh, ladies, you know, you realize that with guys, sex begins anytime, anyplace, anywhere. So think microwave again. Um, I've actually, you know, heard a, a woman say, many women actually said this, there are two things, ladies, that you very regret afterwards, but you might have a difficult time before getting going. The two things are exercise and sexual activity with your husband. So the two things, you're like, afterwards, you don't regret it. Afterwards, it's actually during that, you're like, okay, no, this was good, but it just took a little while to get going, especially when you were not in the mood. Also, understand, ladies, that a guy feels the most connected. If you want to feel, have a guy feel most connected to you, it's during and right after sexual engagement with you. Do you realize that that is the guy when he feels the most connected with you emotionally is when that takes place, if you're the one that got him excited about that. Okay, and we're gonna talk a little bit about more about that in just a second. Say, guys, let me say it a third way. Continue to pursue your wives by dating them. Make her feel loved and not just used for her body. In other words, guys, when is the last time that you surprised your wife with flowers, coffee, an overnight at a hotel? 
Maybe you weren't even invited to the overnight at the hotel, you know, or she had a way with her girlfriends to be able just to have fun, a dinner, or whatever it is that would just make her feel pursued. Ladies, pursue your husbands sexually. That sounds kind of funny, but very few things make a man feel more secure and loved in a marriage than when his wife goes out of her way to pursue him specifically sexually. And vice versa, rejection absolutely kills a guy faster than anything else. Hey, you may have had this experience happen where a guy wants to reach over sexually, you're not in the mood, you say no. What does he do? He's in pain. It's a rejection that at some of the deepest levels for a guy, and he's in pain, but you don't experience the pain, you experience the anger. Immediately he gets anger and he puts up a wall and he begins to shut you out in that, in that connection. So surprise your husband. Do some things out of the norm from time to time. Both of the things that I just mentioned in pursuing and engaging are unnatural for the opposite sex, which is why it takes intentionality, but it, pr- it produces great dividends in your marriage. Sex is meant to be enjoyed. It's meant to be fun, connective in a marriage. Don't get stuck in a rut, but it does come with a great warning because of how powerful it is. So Proverbs chapter 5, verse 18 says, Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you always. May, may you always be captivated by her love. Why be captivated, my son, by an immoral woman or fondle the breasts of a promiscuous woman? For the Lord sees clearly what a man does, examining every path he takes. An evil man is held captive by his own sins. There are ropes that catch and hold him. He will die for lack of self-control. He will be lost because of his great foolishness. So notice that when it comes to sex, that we can be held captive by our own sins. We can die because of our lack of self-control. Sex in marriage is meant to be enjoyed, but in order to have its full enjoyment, it's meant to be protected. And Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4 reminds us, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Why? Is it because he's trying to kill our fun again? Or is it because he wants to protect us? In fact, if you want to read about the destructions of adultery in a marriage, read the warnings in Proverbs chapter 7 and the temptation that it comes with adultery. Now, marriage is God's boundaries and protection because of how much he loves. He knows how powerful this is and what this can do in a relationship and in the confines of that. But he also knows how painful it can be. Like, let me just give you one painful experience. This is not a judgmental experience, but a painful circumstance. You see a 14-year-old girl who engages in sexual activity and then has a baby at 14 years of age. And you understand how hard that is, how painful and how challenging that is for her, for her boyfriend, or, you know, if she has the boyfriend, for her parents or grandparents, whatever may be situa- you know, taking place in their time. That's hard. That's painful. Take the exact same circumstance, put it 10 years, 15 years later, 25-year-old woman who's in a marriage relationship who had births a child. You're like, oh, good, this is happy, this is healthy. And you're like, well, obviously, Christian or not, this makes sense. Again, not in judgment, but just in the way that God designed it. Could it be that he knows what he's talking about? He, God, understand, understand this. God wants what's best for us in marriage. So how do we have fair proof our marriages? How do we do that? Gary Thomas is another great book. You know, wrote this book called Sacred Marriage. And he says, do two things for two hours a week. The first one is pray with and for your spouse five days a week. Pray with and for your spouse. The second is have sexual interaction and intercourse two or three times a week. 
not two or three times a month, two or three times a year, but two or three times a week. See, some of you ladies don't understand the power of regular sexual relations in your marriages. And guys, you don't understand the power of regular prayer with your wife. Uh, Ladies, if your husband wants to have sex with you, it means he's less likely to look for it elsewhere. Guys, if you pray with your wife, she feels more close to you and is less likely to begin to look for emotional needs to be met outside of your relationship. There's this connection that you see. But what's killing marriages faster than anything else in our culture today is pornography. Pornography is just destroying I remember the first time, you know, that I saw pornography. It was fifth or sixth grade. I was on the playground at recess, and there was a wind, like the wind today, and, and all of a sudden this wind and garbage kind of came over the fence as we're playing at recess, and one of the garbage pictures was a thrown away, you know, Playboy of some kind. And so there's this boy that started, said, what is this? So all the boys came around, like, we don't know. We feel guilty, and we like it all at the same time. Like, this is crazy. And, and it, gets, it gets worse for me because I was like, okay, it wasn't about a couple weeks later, I was walking home with my friend Adrian. Yep, we used to walk to school, you know, back and forth, both ways in the snow, uphill. It was painful in Seattle. Um, and, and so as we're walking you know, home, I look to my left and there in the bushes is a VCR. Some of you younger people have to Google that. You know, it's a VCR. And I'm like, that thing looks like it's working. So he's like, no way. So he takes it, as curious sixth, sixth grade boys are. We took it up to his room. We hooked it up to the TV that was in the room. And sure enough, there was a tape that was in there. And it was a pornographic tape. And so we just stared at it. We're like, what is this? And we watched it. We loved it. And also felt really guilty at the same time. Never told our parents and would frequently go over to his house to watch this. Because, I mean, just talk about like how in the circumstances, you don't think we have an enemy that's at work. Here's what I want to tell you though. What that began to do in an adolescent brain of mine was begin to view women a certain way. Because obviously, according to what I was watching when it came to sexual activity, this is the person, this is the reason that women are here on this earth for, to please me sexually, because that's what I'm seeing. That's what obviously is being portrayed. And so you can see the dysfunction you know, that it brings. Even this whole Me Too movement that's beginning to take place, that they're finally exposing Hollywood is realizing, you trace it back, pornography is what it's at its root. That's what's destroying. That's what's hurting, you know, so many marriages and relationships. And today, you don't find VCRs in bushes. You don't find, you know, any of the stuff. You find it as a click of a button. You find it when you're not even looking for it. My son was doing a homework assignment and a pop-up ad came out. You know, he's like, whoa. And you're like, okay, it is ever ready and is so normalized today to be like, oh, it's just, so, just part of the process. It'll enhance your relationship. It's good. It's all this kinds of things. Here's what we know. Studies have already shown pornography is detrimental to a man's ability to desire his wife and even to function sexually. It just is. That's just fact. You know, in in fact, we want to be a church that begins to address some of this. And so uh, one of the guys that we have on staff, you know, is Adam. He oversees our CR program and he started a new, you know, ministry called Pure Warrior. And uh, he is brave enough to take a few minutes this week to tell us about his struggle and some of the things that happened in his life. So go ahead and watch the screen with me now. I was introduced to pornography at a very young age and you know it was something that I didn't think hurt anybody it was something that I really didn't know anything any better and so it's something that I just used uh, to cope with some of the deeper struggles of life that I that I didn't really know that I had and I thought at one point that when I got married that that would solve the the whole issue that when my wife moved in that the pornography issue would go away And the problem is, is that it didn't. 
And so the shame and the guilt would continue to build and continue to build. Pornography was something that was so shameful and so painful for me to even talk about to anybody. I thought that I was gonna have to take this secret to the grave. I felt all alone. I was, I was hopeless and broken from it. Pornography uh, and the other addictions that were in my life, you know, um, led me to, to about committing suicide in Oregon. And the next day I was at home and what led me to that point is I was on my knees crying out to the Lord and he gave me a scripture, Isaiah 58, 9, and then you will call and the Lord will answer and you will cry out for help and he will say, here I am. And it was that day that I cried out to the Lord and I was able to share with my wife some of the struggles that I had in my life. Once I brought light into the situation, you know, God's light takes takes the power of the addiction away. And so once I was able to shed light on the situation, it took its power away and I was able to start to get help. And once I started to get help, then I was able to start to break down the barriers of, of the pornography and the, and the different things that were going on in my, in my head and in my body. I think there was a point where I definitely felt like it wasn't a big deal and, and it wasn't hurting anybody. As I have grown, you know, I've realized that, that it is a huge deal. It not only hurts my wife, but it hurts my relationships. It hurts the, you know, my relationships with my kids, the relationships that I have with friends. All of those relationships are hindered by the, the struggle of pornography because I think the struggle of pornography, it makes us want to isolate. And so we isolate and, we're, and we don't uh, pursue those relationships like we really want to. The one thing that I would want guys to, to understand is, is you are not alone. You are not alone in this struggle. I, I thought that I was the only one that struggled with pornography. But as we know, 68% of Christian men have watched pornography in the last seven days. And so we know that there's so many men that struggle with it that don't, that don't talk about it, that don't wanna share it. That, but, but we also know that when we bring things into the light, we open up, we share about them, that true victory comes from bringing it into light and sharing with other people. My life is so much better now that I can be open, I can be honest, I can be transparent. My relationship with my wife has never been better than it is right now. My wife's forgiveness is absolutely amazing in my life. I mean, she is my rock, she's my soulmate. And so understanding that, that there is a time and a place to obviously share this with our wives because, because we obviously don't wanna just devastate them, but there's, you know, if we share this with men and we get this out into the open, there will be a right time and a right place where we will be able to share this with our wives because we don't wanna live a life of secrecy. We don't wanna live a life where we're, where we're just in secret all the time. You know, we wanna live a life of honesty and transparency and that's where, that's where real relationships grow. One of the ministries that we have here at Valley Real Life is, is Pure Desire. It's helping men break free from, you know, from pornography and sex addiction. And so if, if that's something that you would, you would like to do, please, please get a hold of me. You can uh, find my card out, the connecting point. And we'd, we'd just love to, to get connected with you and help you walk this journey. We'd like, like to walk alongside you in this journey. So. not easy to do and it's not easy to talk so I just want to thank Adam and his wife for doing that. Uh, just to let you guys know uh, there's already 22 guys you know, in our church that are involved in this on a regular basis and we want to continue to see that grow and expand and in fact a great resource to begin you know this conversation is every man's battle you know uh, Stephen Arterberg you know it's just a great great and, and understand this uh, we're very aware that this is not just a male issue any longer 
uh, the largest growing percentage of people who are viewing pornography are women. Uh, one thing that unveiled that more that, that, that came into the open was the whole Fifty Shades of Grey. You know, was to see that eight out of ten who went to see it, eight out of ten, you know, who you know bought the books, you know, are female, and it is continuing to grow. And so, even in our women's ministry, there's a there's a women's workbook that would be very great that we'd suggest called Pure Desire for Women. You know, it, it talks about eight pillars of freedom from love addiction, you know, and sexual issues, or pulling back the shades. You know, his response to what did this whole Fifty Shades of Grey do? What does it do in me, and what does that mean for me sexually? And, and so it just kind of walks. There's other things as well that our women's ministry would love to, to resource and walk through this with you as well. I mean, I talked about it. Seven out of every 10 guys, you know, saw this just this week. So we know this is a thing that's become so normalized, but we understand how destructive it can be. We also have a recovery ministry on Monday nights that's, that can also be a great resource. Now, our response, according to God's word, because he loves, because he wants to make sure we enjoy, then we want to make sure that we protect what he has given, is our response to pornography is to flee. It's to run. First Corinthians chapter 6 says, run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and you given you by God? Do not, you do not belong to yourself, for God brought you with a, bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. So here's what I want to say. If you have sinned sexually, if that's been a, a, something that you have struggled with, engaged with, that kind of stuff, which is a vast majority of people in this room, understand it only has power in darkness. That God is not there to try to smite you, to try to bring condemnation in your life. He actually wants to free you, you know, from this burden that you've kept in the dark. The first step is actually to confess that, confess it to him. Uh, many of you know the Old Testament, you know, uh, a guy by the name of David, King David. He was known by God, called by God as a man after his own heart. You're like, man, I'd love that to be said about me. But you know what David did? You know, he had sex with Bathsheba outside of wedlock, you know, and then he decides to kill her husband, and still he's called that. David himself writes these words in Psalms 51, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. What he's saying is that God please, please create in me a clean heart. And God is there saying, yes, I will. We're going to have consequences on this side of eternity for the things that we do, but God wants to clean. He wants us to help us. But again, power only has, you know, its effect most in darkness. And so as we close today, remember that sex is God's design. It's God's gift, but it must be God-governed. So what is your next step to love and protect your marriage sexually? What is your next step? We've talked about a few different things today, whether it be reading Song of Solomon, you know, and praying together, or maybe it's taking ownership of your part sexually in the engagement process with your spouse. Uh, maybe it's talking to or sending an email to Adam. Maybe that's the next step, or maybe it's just confessing to the Lord and walking out of here different than when you came in. I don't know what your next step is. I just know if you're married today, you have a next step. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for our chance to come before you. Thank you for this powerful gift. Thank you for creating it in a way that it's meant to bring oneness, to bring reproduction, and to bring pleasure. Thank you that this was your idea. Help us, Father, just like with so many other things in life, to, to live within those boundaries that will just help engage and enhance our experience with the people that you have brought, our loved ones, our spouses. Lord, we love you. We pray that you would just help us to have the courage to take steps from here that would help us in relationship with you and relationship with other people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're gonna bring uh, Steve up.
you know, like I said, and spend the last, you know, three or four minutes and answer some of the questions that uh, some of you guys submitted through some of the text questions. Now, Dan, I just want you to know, and for you guys, we had so many questions texted in. If you do, if you do not get your question answered now, please seek somebody out because we, we got some really serious ones and some really profound ones. But here's a couple questions. Um, it's you, you say. Uh, if a man is hurt when a woman turns him down sexually, does that mean she should never turn him down? How do you not hurt him if it's always on his mind? <laughs> uh, yes, yes, ladies, you can definitely turn down your husband. I had one somebody that came on Thursday like, yeah, I was puking one time. And he came over and said, hey, you want to have sex? And she's like, I'm puking. What is wrong with you? You know, he's like, I can't help it. You know, and so here's what I would say, ladies, that is most, most helpful. Yes, you can say no. But that's where the wall can come up. What's the better phrase is to say, not now. And then if you're really brave and in concern, you know, when it connects with him, because he's going to think instantly, well, when? Just like we talked about a couple weeks ago when it came to fighting, if you say, hey, I need a few moments, when? Ladies, if you can say, when? Like we say, well, not now, not today, tomorrow night, tomorrow night. Do you realize what that'll do to him? The next 36 hours, he gets so excited about what's going to be taking place. Just follow through whenever you say, but this is when we're, we'll be able to engage with that. Okay, does that make sense? Not now. Don't just say, no, get away from me. You know, that, that doesn't help. Okay, and, and Dan, this came in several times. You know, we've made mistakes, either men writing this, women writing this. How do we begin the process of finding healing and forgiveness? Uh, the first is confession. Is just to admit that you have made mistakes. It's to talk to God. The second, you know, is James chapter 5. We're, we're going to be going into that actually this, this next week, you know, as we go through the book of James. You know, uh, talks about confession to one another brings healing. There is something powerful, not forgiveness, it doesn't say, healing. There's something powerful about saying to another brother, another sister, you know, somebody else, this is what I'm struggling with. This is what's going on. My, even my own spouse. You know, there may be a time and place for that as well, but that begins the healing journey and the healing process, but you got to get it out in the open. Okay. And Dan, you know, I'm engaged to this person. We're serious. We're committed. Why should we have to refrain? Okay. I, you got to back up the tape. I spent seven minutes on it. You know, so, you know, why should we have to, again, it's better. Delayed gratification is better. You know, when it, in the context of marriage, you know, there's all these reasons. So I would just say back it up because otherwise I'd have just to re-preach what I just preached. And here's, here's my final question. Yeah. What, what are some simple ways that we can create safeguards in our own marriage? Yeah, the simplest ways is to, again, try to put some boundaries and some, some, some hedges, uh, not hedges, that's a bad word, some, uh, um, some, some walls around your relationship. And, and what I would say is, is accountability helps big time. Uh, there's, uh, I got some ministry friends of mine who created you know, a website called triplexchurch.com. Make sure you add the word church after triple X, otherwise you're going to have a whole bunch of issues. Triple X Church, xxxchurch.com. What they did is they found there's a lot of filtering stuff that's out there, but I love what they do because they actually ask you to, to put in other of your friends' email address, other guys in your life, their email address. Here's why. It's because whatever you look at at your computer will be sent to this guy. And so all of a sudden, every week he gets an update, you know, hey, you know, if Steve was my, my, my accountability partner, he would say, here's what Dan has viewed this last week. So it gives two things, Steve an opportunity to have a conversation, me a, a chance to hesitate a little bit more because I'm like, I don't want to have to have that conversation with Steve. And when you have some of those things in place, it can be really, really helpful. Uh, I had a, a woman also say at the uh, last service, you know, she, she came and she says, hey, my husband notices other women all the time and he talks about it all the time. 
And so as I told her, I said, guys can't help. It's almost like seeing a car wreck down the road, okay? You can't help but notice it. Where it becomes an issue is when you focus in on it, and then when you verbalize it to your spouse, it does nothing for your relationship. Absolutely nothing. Uh, You heard me say uh, earlier, the whole sexual engagement and connection with one another, if the other person has got you excited. How you keep the marriage bed pure is if you're looking at something else, and that's what excites you, and then you look for your spouse to meet it, because people have said, well, we're married, we both think it's okay to watch pornography. Do you realize that you brought a third party into your bedroom? You know, and you're not connecting to this person, you're connecting to the images in your head that's not associated with this person, which is actually what hinders marriages over time. It's exciting at first. If it wasn't, we would not do it. But over time, it just dissolves and hinders, especially this part of marriage. So as we close today, again, if you didn't get your questions answered, we still want to try to walk through this this week in your community groups, in your life groups, you know, whatever you be maybe connecting with this week. Here's what I'd say. Come together and then maybe split up, you know, men in one room and women in another and continue this conversation. Talk with your spouse about this. Don't let this be the taboo thing. Continue to communicate with one another. And as you leave, if you're new with us and you got a connection card, I just encourage you to take it to Connecting Point. We got a gift for you. Also, as I've mentioned, next week we shared a new series called Stretched. We're going to go through the book of James. And I, I think God put this series in our church for a reason right now. With a lot of pain and suffering and loss that people are going through, this may be exactly what God had in mind to help us walk through that together. Uh, also, don't forget to sign up. We have this one-day marriage conference. You know, got to sign up by tomorrow. And uh, again, I'm just glad that we had a chance to walk through this. Remember, Spokane is the number one city in the country when it comes to divorce. Number one, 200 largest cities in the country. And so we want to be a church that continues to go after it and talk about it and work and help. Let's do this together. Will you stand with me as we close in prayer? Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to have a discussion, Lord, that's centered on your word. I pray that you would just guide, that you would lead, direct. Help us to know which part we should own, which part we should engage in, or which part we might bring confession to. I pray a blessing on all of those in this room. Uh, all those in the Otis room, uh, Lord, who'll be watching this. And I pray that you would just allow us to continue to grow with you at the center of all of our relationships. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.